Hello and welcome aboard the Gallant Says Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. You can also watch this live, twitch.tv slash Gallant Says. It is Tuesday, March 29th of 2022. Earlier today on the Vanessa and Gallant radio show, which you can hear 10 until noon central time on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. No Vanessa the last couple of days. She's been up in Indianapolis with her dad, who's not doing so well. So send some kind words her way if you could. On the show, we circled back to some comments made yesterday on the Rich Eisen show by Mike Florio. In a nutshell, they had to do with one Deshaun Watson. And they were as follows. That if Deshaun Watson decides to fight the civil lawsuits he's facing in court, that there's a chance that his suspension might end up getting kicked down the road. That he might start the season potentially on the commissioner's exempt list or something like that. And remember, we're talking about 22 different civil suits and a guy in Watson who on Friday showed little to no remorse and seemed quite hellbent on fighting against every single one of these civil lawsuits, talking about clearing his name. I have a hard time buying into the idea that he'll be able to go 22 for 22. I also have a hard time believing that he is not going to end up settling with quite a few of these people making the allegations against him about sexual misconduct. Here's what I do know. I am glad that Deshaun Watson is fighting this, and I know it's gross to say, but I want him to fight it, not to win. I want him to fight it so that things get stuck in the muck, bogged, swamped, whatever. I want it so that He ends up not playing because guess what? That's good. That's good for the Texans. We are rooting for Deshaun Watson to fight this because guess what? If all of a sudden the Browns don't have Deshaun Watson this coming season, they will not be a good team. They will probably be a six-win team at best. I suppose that if Baker Mayfield's still around, things might be a little bit better prospects-wise going into the year, but it does seem like a pretty absolute certainty that they're going to get rid of him. So... I'm hoping that he fights this and I'm hoping that things get delayed, but it led to a bunch of commenters saying the same thing. Paul, I think you're addicted to talking about Deshaun Watson and it's a fair point. Uh, and Fuentes respecter says he's going to settle, but come out and say he's only doing it so he can get back to playing football. Yeah, that probably would be the spin. Yeah, I just don't want to be a distraction for my team. Some bullshit like that. Anyway, I've been talking so much to Sean Watson since I've gotten back to town that I think you could make a legitimate case that I am addicted to my ex. That I am perhaps stalking my ex. I mean, you know, it's, it's certainly possible. I think when you've got, I don't know, like (laughs) when, when you've got something like a quarterback of Deshaun Watson's caliber as 
a part of your team for a really long period of time and then he's gone. I think it's somewhat just a, a default feeling to have. Like you're going to check on what he does elsewhere. You're probably going to root against him elsewhere. You want him to fail. Not just because of the fact that it helps your draft positioning, but also because you don't want to see somebody who fucked you over get off good. You know, I, I think we all have gone through a point in our time on this earth where we've broken up with somebody, or let's be honest, they've broken up with us, and we miss them. And we can't stop thinking about them, and we glorify our memories of said person. We spin it as if things were wonderful then when they suck now. When in reality, in most relationships that fail, you probably had your own misgivings about it as well, which might have led to the reason that things, I guess, fell apart. But in this situation, you probably, after the fact, are rooting for that person to whoever they date next to be less attractive than you. Or to be less successful than you. Or to just suck. Because we're like that. We're petty. We're kind of the worst. And in this situation, I feel that way with James Harden too. I know I do. And it's bad for me with James Harden. I, I can admit that. I mean, I'm at a point where I'm circling back to a game on Sunday against... The Phoenix Suns, who are a good basketball team, I'm circling back and I'm watching highlights like the one I'm about to show you right now that you can watch on Twitch. Here you got up on the top of the screen, Chris Paul. You got a little fast break going. There's noted post defender James Harden. Oh, he just lets a guy... Go right by him. What a surprise. Am I messed up for enjoying seeing that elsewhere? Oh, well, uh, it's not just that one. There's more. I like watching this version of James Harden absolutely be terrible, at least in certain aspects of his game. He is not playing like the guy that you saw here in Houston. That is for damn sure. So I don't know. Let's let's go back to this game and watch some of these highlights. This noted post defender, at least for all of those red rowdies on Twitter that still like James Harden for some reason, like he's holding them hostage. Let's let's watch another moment in this game that took place on Sunday where the Phoenix Suns dismantled the Houston Rockets. Let's let's go watch a little bit more. Let's transition in. Oh look. Here we go. More Sixers. Up oh, Chris Paul. He's dribbling up court. Here's a pass to the outside. I had the wrong set. Oh, there we go. Watch this. Dribbling over to the corner. You got a three from one uh, um, Danny Green. So here's what happened here. At one point in the second quarter with James Harden off the court, the Sixers took a 54-39 to lead. You think to yourself, okay, well, they're going to blow out. The Sixers are going to blow out the Suns in this game. Look at this big lead that they have. Then just continue to watch. What's hilarious is Harden comes back on the court, and less than three minutes later, that 54-39 lead was down to 54-10. 
to 52. If we go a little bit further into the game, there's a moment where you just see how easy teams are seeing it is to match up with James Harden defensively. Let's scroll a little bit first. And this is why you got to watch this thing on, on Twitch, baby, so that you can see the actual highlights as I talk about them. We're working progress on the video side of things. But anyway, okay. So the Suns got the ball. There's Devin Booker up to the top of your screen. Easy pick and roll. And you see how slow James Harden is trying to chase after that? Let's watch it again. I mean, he's so damn slow on defense. He doesn't care. I mean, how do you not see that coming? The guy doesn't even block him. And up, there he goes, cruising through the lane. It's so easy for Devin Booker. And Devin Booker's a great player. But, I mean, and, you know, it's a pick and roll and stuff too. But I thought I thought that Harden cared about defense now because he's, he's on the Philadelphia 76ers. He's not on the Rockets. He's not on the, the Brooklyn Nets. Here's a little bit later. More of the same thing. Oh, whoa. Well, hang on a second. Where's James Harden? Did I get the wrong highlight clip in here? Maybe it was at 637. This is pretty amateur hour shit that I'm doing right here. But anyway, look, uh, you go a little bit further into this game. It's just all pick and rolls if you watch the highlights, and I'm going to transition out of this. I'm addicted to talking about James Harden. I can't help it. I want to see him fail. And maybe I'm a loser for feeling that way, but I don't think I am. I feel like we should all want that. But maybe I should just stop talking about it altogether. Maybe I legitimately do need help or something like that. Maybe I need someone to step in so I can just move the fuck on with my life. Is there a sports X that you can't get over? I want to hear from you. Twitch.tv slash Galant says. You can also, of course, respond on Twitter on that front. That was a little bit of a failure. I tried to do a video highlight thing, and the funny thing is I wrote down a bunch of time cues where I thought that Harden screwed up, and I guess that I got the wrong time cues for all of them because every single time cue that I put in there was not the highlight that I was looking for. Imagine if I was doing this on TV or something like that. I would have had my boom goes the dynamite moment. Although maybe I would have been able to talk my way around it. I'm not 100% sure. There are new rules in the NFL. These new rules have to do with overtime. And a lot of people want overtime fixed. I think that you're of the belief that because of the way that the Chiefs-Bills game ended, with the Chiefs winning the coin toss in overtime, and the Bills not having a chance to match, you think that clearly the NFL has it fucked up. Maybe back in the day, sudden death overtime might have worked. But nowadays, if you win the coin toss and you get possession and you have an offense that's on fire and you're going up against a defense that's tired, you're going to score on that first drive. I do think that the coin toss probability is in the 60 plus percent when it comes to the team that wins the coin toss, winning the game in playoff overtime. So we got to switch this up. We got to change it. We got to even the playing field. So what the NFL has come up with as a rule, something that I think was proposed by the Indianapolis Colts, another team as well, is that in overtime, both teams will be guaranteed at least one possession. I think it's better than it is right now, but I only think it's going to be marginally better than it is right now. 
Because here's going to be the problem going forward for a lot of these playoff games, and this is only for the playoffs. You have a lot of quarterbacks who are mobile, who can extend plays, and who can take advantage of a tired defense on an every-down basis. Let's just think of all the quarterbacks in the NFL that are like that. Russell Wilson, if Deshaun Watson's out on the field, Deshaun Watson is one of them. You have, I don't know if I would call Tua this, but the Jets and Zach Wilson. Wilson can extend plays. I don't know if the Jets are going to be in the playoffs anytime soon. Josh Allen and the Bills obviously can extend plays. Lamar Jackson. Joe Burrow holds the football a little bit too long, but he can extend plays. Ryan Tannehill is somewhat mobile. Trevor Lawrence, he's got some mobility. Patrick Mahomes. The Chargers, Justin Herbert, a little bit less so. NFC, Dak Prescott can. Jalen Hurts can. Carson Wentz sometimes can. Aaron Rodgers obviously can. Kirk Cousins, not so much. The rest of the quarterbacks in that division, not so good. Tom Brady can't. But Tom Brady's Tom Brady. And then in the uh, NFC West, you have Kyler Murray who can do it too. You got a lot of quarterbacks who can extend plays. Well, Paul, why the fuck are you talking about extending plays? Because over the course of 60 minutes, imagine you're a pass rusher and you're chasing these fuckers all game long. You're going to be gassed by the start of overtime. And that quarterback might be a little tired, but they're going to be feeling pretty good about the fact that you've been chasing after them all game long. And if you haven't gotten to them enough, then they're probably going to be able to continue to do what they have been doing to you. Below Blackstar says, the Catman. Yes, that's Kyler Murray. The Catman. The, I delete all my Instagram posts and, because it's the social media and that's just what we do, man. So Kyler Murray uh, um, uh, and all these other quarterbacks, I feel like in overtime, when over, playoff overtime starts, they're going to have these defenses tired. You already can't touch wide receivers because the Indianapolis Colts were little whiny babies after they lost in the playoffs in 2004 to the Patriots. They felt like they were getting held. Maybe Peyton Manning don't throw four interceptions. And then the very next game that they played the next year, even with the five-yard contact, all of a rule being enforced because Bill Polian whined and complained for it, even with the five-yard contact rule being enforced, the Colts lost again to the Patriots in the playoffs, this time with the Patriots dealing with some of their best defensive backs, Asante Samuel, among others, like injured. They couldn't play. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't play in the game. So how did that go? How did that work? Was it worth it? But anyway, that's where all of the rules started to get really ramped up in terms of being, I think, disrespectful to defensive players. And now you go a little bit further. If you sack a quarterback too hard and land on him, that's a personal foul. If you go too low, even if you're diving to make a tackle from a guy who is trying to get away from you, that's a personal foul. If you go too high, that's a personal foul. If you tap the guy in the head, that's a personal foul. Offenses can get away with false starts. We see it all the time, especially on the edge. Watch a game. You'll probably see one or two false starts that are gotten away with by a tackle on the road who is maybe jumping a little bit ahead of the actual snap count. Delay of games are allowed, essentially, these days. How many times have you noticed that a referee will allow the play clock to hit zero before signaling for a delay of game? Most of the times it hits zero and there's no delay of game at all. There are so many rules in favor of the offense. They need to have less rules in favor of the offense. 
And that's why I really liked what Lovey Smith had to say. And I think he's wrong to an extent, but I get where he's coming from because this does need to be a part of the game. Defense. Lovey Smith, when um, at the NFL owners' meetings, and these were in, uh, I don't know where the hell they take place. Someone in Florida, I'm guessing. All these old owners, they like to go to Florida. What's wrong with that, Paul? Nothing. I like Florida. Florida's great. But um, hang on a second. I'm looking for my old notes that I had from earlier today. Paul, you're really organized today. Shut up. Uh, here it is. Lovey Smith on overtime rules. There is a defense on the other side of the ball, right? When you kick the ball off, you have the ball deep down there and can take the ball away, get it and score right there and win. I'm okay. There's a reason why we've had these rules in play for a long period of time. I think change is always good too, but he's essentially saying like we can play defense. It doesn't have to be just us sitting back and waiting for our inevitable end. But the problem is they've made things so hard for defenses that I don't I don't think that you can really help them out anymore. I don't think this is the pre- the best solution for overtime. I, I think that if you want to make it so it's not gimmicky and where it's actually consistent with the rest of a 60-minute game overtime, then you add just an extra quarter. And I know that might lead to potentially longer games, anticlimactic finishes. But at the same time, what happens if each team gets a possession and both teams score? Ultimately, the team that wins the coin toss is going to have the the first chance to score afterwards, right? And the other team's not going to get to match. So then it would come back to being the coin toss. I suppose that it's a less prob- there's less of a probability of that happening where both teams score a touchdown right away, but it's certainly possible. What happens after that? We, we're going to go right back to the same argument, the same complaining, the same whining about unfair, about how this is wrong. And when that happens, I'm telling you, we're just going to come back to this again And I guess the next measure is, okay, well, add another possession or add the two-point conversion. Well, then it starts to get gimmicky. There's no real way to fix this. I mean, sudden death was a part of NFL overtime for a while, but offenses have taken the game over to such a degree that it's it's no longer a fair fight. And since it's no longer a fair fight, I think we got to get to a point where, you know, we got to get to a point where all of a sudden we think to ourselves, we need to bring defense back. But I don't think there's that many people that really feel that way. Fantasy football, that is a big part of the NFL. Gambling, big part of the NFL these days. I think that fantasy football people want to see more points. I think that gamblers would like to see more as well. Most people bet the over. Not the under. It's more fun to bet the over. What else we got on today's show? Because that was the big news that happened in the NFL today. Here's an interesting one. So the Astros, it sounds like, are not going to announce Justin Verlander as their opening day starter. And I totally get it. 
You know why? Because of unwritten baseball rules. Can you make Justin Verlander your opening day starter for this coming season if he wasn't a part of the team at any point last year? I know that's still a sticking point for a lot of people out there, fans of the Astros. All right, it's great that he's back. You maybe thought he was going to walk in free agency, and you're like, wait a second, this guy's not going to try to be back for the World Series, even though he's throwing a bullpen session, et cetera, et cetera, and he's throwing it close to 100 miles per hour. Why isn't he back out there? I think a lot of you might have thought that, but now he's back on the team. So for you, things might be fixed. But for the actual Astros clubhouse, I'm curious as to what Justin Verlander's return means Dusty Baker today was asked whether or not Verlander will be that opening day starter. And he said, probably not. Then when he pressed to see if it would be Framber Valdez who steps in, and that seems to be the obvious choice as an alternative, He's especially with Lance McCullers, of course, dealing with uh, yet another injury that's going to take him a while to rehab from, then here you are, finding yourself in a situation where you must... You must put in Valdez or someone else. You can't have Verlander come back into the clubhouse and and basically be in that spot right away. And I say this because there are these weird, unwritten clubhouse rules in baseball where people all have to be on the same page. People all have to feel right about something. And there are certain things that are big when it comes to someone's ego, like, say, being the opening day starter. I think for Justin Verlander, if he's not the opening day starter, he will be a little bit miffed. But if you're in the clubhouse and you see somebody else get that opening day starter spot or, say, an opening day roster spot that they maybe didn't earn or there's a little rancor towards that guy, he's not the biggest, he's not, he's not, the, he's not making the most friends in the clubhouse or something like that, that can rub people the wrong way. So I do think that it's smart for the Astros, at least for now, to publicly say that Verlander is not going to be the guy. And I do believe him that Verlander is not going to be the guy as that far as that goes. By the way, twitch.tv slash Gallant says is how you talk. Uh, N Fuente Respector says this. Not sure if you planned on bringing it up. Hey, look, if you ask me any question in the chat, this is the whole point in the Twitch show. I'll answer. But what do you make of Belichick not having a defensive coordinator or an offensive coordinator? I don't see any benefit in that. I don't necessarily see a benefit in it either. But it's something they've been doing for a really long period of time. There have been numerous occasions in Patriots coaching staff history where they have not had a guy officially listed with a title. What does it mean? It's a great question. I I don't. I don't think it ultimately hurts them to not have somebody in that role. It is kind of funny to see that both Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are back on their coaching staff and are both working with the offense. But I think for Belichick, I think he likes all the coaches on the staff to feel like they're on a level playing field so that they all have an equal ability to provide input, to talk with one another, etc. It also, I would imagine, helps Belichick keep paying, uh, keep prices down. And I'm sure Bob Kraft loves that. I don't see how it's advantageous, though, or how there's any benefit to not having an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator in title, other than just the idea that, well, all coaches are level except for me. 
everyone is reporting to me. But it, in a way, could potentially make some guys who are assistant coaches feel like they're more valued, like they have more of a say, as opposed to having to report up the chain to, you know, like a Josh McDaniels when he was offensive coordinator or to, let's say, back in the day, to a Matt Patricia when he was defensive coordinator. Everyone's on a level playing field. Everyone can challenge each other. There's an equality to it. That's, I guess, really the only thing I could think of as far as being a potential advantage to that side of things. There was one last thing I wanted to touch on, and this had to do with something I saw on Twitter. And it came from um, someone by the name of Torrey Smith. You might remember him as an NFL NFL wide receiver. Torrey Smith tweeted out something that a lot of people have been tweeting out recently. And it drives me crazy. It's about playing indoors. There's a lot of football fans that would like to see everyone have domes, especially in cold weather places. This report coming from New York. The Buffalo Bills are getting a new $1.4 billion stadium, and New York State slash Erie County is going to provide $850 million in public funding. So it's a lot of money. It's an outdoor stadium. It's in Buffalo. Minnesota, cold place. They built an indoor stadium. Again, Detroit, indoor stadium. Places that are on the lakes that are uh, Chicago Stadium outdoors, a little bit different. But uh, the, the Cleveland Browns, they play outdoors. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they play outdoors. So the teams that are closest to the lakes, for the most part, they play outdoors. But there are some that play inside. And I think a lot of people who like offense, some of these same people who don't want to see any defensive rules come back into the NFL. They want to see track meets. They want to see players playing in the best possible conditions every single game. And to that, I say, fuck that. Look, maybe this is toxic masculinity or something like that, but I feel like there is something extra manly to the idea that in football, you might have to play through the elements. Whether those elements be 40 mile per hour wins, sub- 32-degree temperatures, snow, rain, or just brutal heat. There's something, too, playing through those elements that can vary week to week, game to game, month to month. And I hate it, dome teams. I think they're soft. Seriously, yeah. I, I am uh, racist against teams in a dome. I think they're soft. I think that when it comes down to it, when they play outdoors, they're not going to like it. When they have to play in inclement weather, they're not going to like it. I think they're soft. Peyton Manning and Drew Brees put up a lot of numbers. They played in domes. That must be nice. I just don't like that. that. That's a part of football. It's so far away from what football was when it was formed. Sure, I'm an old school meathead douche. Fine. I don't care. Play outdoors. Be tough. Have that toxic masculinity. What's wrong with that? I mean, that's what football is. It's a bunch of huge guys who lift tons of weights, who run super fast, essentially brutally colliding with each other on a play-to-play basis. Let's throw a little extra zest on top of it. Give me that outdoor seasoning. I want it. I don't get why we're so opposed to it, why there's so many people who hate the idea of playing outdoors. If you're the Buffalo Bills, that's a home field advantage for you. 
When I was growing up a Patriots fan, watching the Patriots take on the Indianapolis Colts and seeing it in the snow and just knowing deep down inside, the only warm feeling that I had was that the Colts were going to shrivel in the cold. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to deal with the snow. These prissy, soft, tiny little fleet-footed wide receivers didn't want anything to do with that tough, hard northern outdoor life and maybe i sound like some jabroni northerner from winterfell or something like that i don't care i feel like if you have the opportunity to have some sort of home field advantage that includes the outside inclement weather use it lean into it don't drift away from it don't be scared of it that sucks that's boring that's lame but we all for some reason are totally okay with not calling these people out. It's Mina Kimes, it's Mike Gulick Jr., it's Tory Smith. There's so many people out there, and they want only indoor stadiums. Lame. Outdoor's cool. And I would say from time to time, maybe when it's hot outside, the Texans want to give someone a brutal day. Might suck for Texans fans inside the stadium. But if they want to give someone a brutal day and make them play through the Texas heat, why not open up the thing? Why not open up the roof? See what happens. See how tired and draw and 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 exhausted the team that they go up against gets. Why not? Akalon says on Twitter, I did have a question today. Do you have a sports X that you were still addicted to? Stroh's fan, although his now his Twitter handle is fan I know, but like there's a four for fan and there's an I and a no. You still see the old fan emoji. One of the OGs of the uh, Galan at Night radio program. He says Ken Giles. We'll see how Ken Giles does with the Seattle Mariners this year at some point. If you are a Mariners fan, you're not going to like the experience. I'm just telling you right now. At least in big time spots. The guy is a bit of a head case. Uh, someone else retweeted this. This is another good friend. Hustle Chilson, nobody comes to mind. Do you have a sports X that you're still addicted to? I think just maybe, just maybe, he's talking about Russell Wilson. I could be wrong on that front. Big thanks to everybody who tuned into today's edition of the Gallant Says Podcast. We'll try to make things a little bit better with the video side of things. I could have sworn that I had all the time codes down right for those highlights so I could shit on James Harden properly. Alas, it didn't work out that way. But if you haven't already, please like the Gallant Says Podcast or subscribe, rate it, review it, wherever you get your podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can watch this whole thing if you want. Video form, twitch.tv slash Gallant Says, or on YouTube, you can watch a clip, youtube.com slash Paul Gallant. Again, every single afternoon, 3 o'clock Central Time, twitch.tv slash Gallant Says. That's where you got to go to watch this thing live. That's how you go to interact with the show live, like Below Blackstar did, and like and Fuente Respectors did as well. Hopefully I didn't butcher anyone's names. I appreciate y'all for tuning in. So long, farewell. I'll be back at it with, I believe, a Vanessa Richardson on the road tomorrow, 10 o'clock on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Until then, peace!